Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to the very first ever edition of Broad Street Hockey Radio for the second round. That's right, a playoff series victory, and we are here to bring you second round podcasting action. I hope we're up to the challenge. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Let's get right into it because I'm fucking excited, guys. I got to tell you, I hope you listen to my post game because it was a... It was a it was an emotional journey for me, as I'm sure it was for the two lifelong fans joining me. Let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. Bill, I too am fucking excited. Yeah, big time. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. Like I know it's one round. It's winning a round is not winning the Stanley Cup, but nah, it I felt like it a tiny little bit the other day. It really did. It was. It was exciting. Although, to be, we'll get into it, but yeah, exciting. Yeah. And, of course, from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. You know, it's funny to talk about, like, how relieving it is that the Flyers have finally won a playoff series. One thing that I did find interesting coming from, specifically from Elaine Vigneault, in the last couple days after they won the series, he has strongly hinted that, for quite a few players on this team, just how relieving it was to win a playoff series finally. Like, I just, I get the impression that he thinks that there were guys in that first round series that played tighter than normal because they just didn't want to blow this. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, that's kind of where I wanted to start with. I want everyone's thoughts on closing out the Habs and winning a series for the first time in eight years, but that's a great segue, Charlie. Like, it seemed to me... That while the flat like did Sean, Sean Couturier, JVR, uh, Giroux, Voracek, these are the only guys who are here in 2012, correct? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I can't think yeah. of anybody else. Well, JVR uh, was still here, right? Yeah, JVR was hurt in the in the Pittsburgh most of the Pittsburgh series, but he was here. Um, and yeah, Voracek and Coots and, and G. And like that's the only like that's Sean Couturier's rookie year. It's yeah. Voracek's only time ever in the second round. He never won with freaking Columbus. <laughs> JVR went to Toronto, so obviously he didn't play in the second round ever. That's a good point. Like, none of these like <laughs> even the guys who are veterans on this club outside of Niskanen and Braun have like either haven't been to the Eastern Conference Final or in a decade or have never been. Uh, I'm trying to think. Hazy, where like where was he? Well, they, he, he was on some Rangers teams that went on some runs. Yeah, they went on some. I'm trying I think, to think, I think like, got, how I think old he, he is with I think Rangers his rookie teams. year was the year they got to the Eastern Conference Final and lost, if I remember correctly, in seven games. Because he, right. he, he wasn't on the Rangers team, the AV team that went to the Cup Final. He wasn't right? on that team. But okay. I think he was on the next year's team, and I believe they got to the Conference Final. So for pretty much everybody except, like, the two oldest guys on the team— this is the furthest they've been in 10 years or ever. Like, it has to be, like, watching Claude Giroux, and we talked about it, he's not as bad as maybe the numbers look, as, as we've lost Kelly, it looks like, uh, at least temporarily. But it's not, it may be not as bad as the numbers looked, but 
like, you could tell Giroux was tight. And I think that goes for a lot of these guys, right? And that's what AV was getting at. He seemed to be hinting as much that, that these guys were, that he thinks the guys are going to be relieved coming coming off of that series uh, just because, and he didn't name names, but I, I think we can, you know. We can guess. We can guess who some of the players who might have been tight were. The one thing that surprised me, and I was, I mean, I know we've talked about this on the show a little bit. I've certainly talked about it on Twitter. I was pleasantly surprised with how not tight Jake Voracek looked. Like, he was one of the, the few players in the Flyers that I thought had a really good series, and he easily could have been tight because, as you said, he's been there for all the shit. I mean, he's been there for the years of the team being mediocre, and he was the one player that really grabbed the bull by the by the horns, aside from, from Carter Hart, obviously, and was just like, I'm not letting this team lose this series. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm real interested to see who picks it up now that that one big obstacle, winning a round. Uh, I'm real interested to see now that that's out of the way. If Giroux and Couturier and those guys kind of get it going, like Couturier, every single one of his scoring chances was the definition of gripping your stick too tight. Like he bunted too wide, like that were just on his stick or hit him in the stick right in front of the net and just somehow didn't go in. <laughs> like it just seems like he's a guy who definitely could benefit from just weight off the shoulders. I wish they would all chill, to be honest. <laughs> the entire top six. I mean, it's, I, I get it. Like I was freaking nervous. Well, yeah. But we're, you know, we live nervous lives. I feel like they should be chill. Yeah. Yeah, well, A.B. had said in the – I'm trying to pull up the media transcript from post-game. Let me see if I can find it. But he specifically said, which was one of the more eye-opening things he said, and maybe it's just him, you know, trying to take the, the heat off his guys, throw some excuses. But he said, I think for us this was a tough series in the sense that everyone predicted that we were the favorites. We weren't giving Montreal a lot of credit, so we had to play through things mentally. And that's interesting to me because – I mean, I went into this the Montreal series thinking it was going to be more difficult than I think a lot of people thought. It ended up being even more difficult than maybe even I thought it was going to be. But it was interesting that he said that, you know, not that the Flyers took Montreal lightly, but just it, it must have been weird for the Flyers after years and years of years of being kind of crappy to go into a series where everyone expects you to win. Like, it must have just been a weird role reversal because they've been used to just people not thinking the Flyers are that good, and suddenly everyone thought the Flyers are really good. Yeah, I didn't Yeah, like and that. while we're upset, like, yeah, 2014, 2016, 2018, you know, it would have been nice to win those series, and maybe they could have made them, you know, 2014 goes seven, but maybe it would have been nice to make them a little bit more competitive, but in none of those, in none of those series were the Flyers close to the favorite. No, and I, I honestly, it seems like we might be a little bit of a dog in this series. Like, it seems like kind of the hockey heads are like, oh, the Islanders are going to get the Flyers. So maybe they'll feel a little bit more comfortable now that no one's super confident they're going to win this series. It does seem like the Islanders are the trendy pick, mm -hmm. which is interesting because the, the odds makers still have the Flyers as the favorite. But it does seem like, you know what this, this series kind of reminds me of? And, like, I'm... Spoiler alert, I'm pretty optimistic about this series. Ooh. But this huh. series reminds me a lot of the Boston Carolina series last round, where everyone just decided that 
obviously Carolina is going to win this series, even though Boston on paper is better because Boston's playing so shitty going into this round, and Carolina's the, the, the hot team that everyone's excited about because they kicked the crap out of a shitty team that they played in the first round. And then what happened? Boston won in five. And granted, they got they got some breaks. You know, Sveshnikov getting hurt hurt them a lot, but hurt Carolina a lot. But I just feel like the Flyers now in this series are getting underrated, where just in the same way that Boston was getting underrated in the first round against Carolina. I I feel that, and I am kind of optimistic, and we'll get to our predictions a little later, but uh, I, I, I think this is going to be a tight one. Uh, I just, how much of a function of the Flyers' play in the last series do you guys think was just reacting to Montreal and, like, they're tight, and the whole idea was just don't lose to this team. Like, we're going to contain them, we're going to keep them in front of us, and it doesn't matter if we don't score, we'll we'll get two or three chances, let's just not get burned on three-on-ones all day, and that was, that's why they couldn't generate as much offense as they wanted? I mean, I have to believe, given what we saw from the Flyers, the almost the entire season, and also in the round-robin, that that series went so badly because more because of how the Flyers were playing and less because of how the Habs were playing. That's not to say that the Habs did a terrible job. They played a really good series against the Flyers, and there was a reason why the Flyers didn't look like themselves. But I do think that the Flyers are capable of being better just out of their own, you know, minds. I lost my train there. But I, I do think that there's something the Flyers, I think, can kick it up a notch separate from anything that's happening from the opposition. And maybe that's like a little optimistic, but I, I really do think that it's more in their hands than it is the opposition's hands. I think a lot of the big issue for the Flyers, like this, that Montreal series, like they struggled more at five on five in terms of carrying play that I thought they would. And I knew that Montreal was going to, you know, was going to be a problem there because they are a good puck possession team. They're one of the better, you know, Corsi four and expected goals percentage in teams at five on five, especially in the second half. So I, I knew that the flyers weren't going to necessarily dominate Montreal, but I didn't think the flyers are going to get consistently outshot and outchanced to the degree that they were. So that surprised me. That said, if the Flyers were simply hitting on the dangerous passing sequences that they did throughout pretty much the entirety of the regular season, especially in the second half, the Flyers win that series in five. Yeah. Because the biggest reason they didn't, like, they, they were they were losing game two regardless. But, like, if their power play is working that entire series, and if they're nailing on the passing sequences that they made, like, a normal occurrence in the regular season, it doesn't matter that they're not outplaying them at 5-on-5 five five because they just had more finishing talent. And that was what was missing in that first-round series. Like, you, the Flyers were fully capable of playing the same grinded-out defensive style and then still scoring two more goals a game because they were hitting on a few good passing plays. The thing is, they just weren't hitting on them until maybe the very end of the series. So, to me, the big thing for next round is, and Vino pointed this out on Sunday, is they got to start making those plays. Like, they just they have to because if they don't, the Flyers are going to have to do the exact same thing they did in the Montreal series, and truthfully, that turns that that turns a series into a coin flip. 
the Flyers won some close games. The Flyers won some games in that Montreal series that, objectively speaking, could have went either way. You know, a post, a, a big save, a penalty, and maybe the Flyers lose games games three and four. Maybe. They're coin flip games. The Flyers came up heads both times. Good for them. But you don't want to go into coin flip games for two series in a row. And the only way for them to avoid doing that is to just the, the high-end guys need to make more plays. They need to make the kind of plays that, that they that they essentially made all year long. And I think they can do it, but they still have to do it. Yeah, like that, uh, the Flyers win game six, three to two. They get up one nothing on an icing in the first 30 seconds. Like, yeah. that's... That's a coin flip, you know? They won. Kevin Hayes and G got dominated in the faceoff circle in Game 6, but Hayes, won that one, uh, and that's really all they needed. Before we move on to just looking at the aisles, I want to close the book on Round 1 because it is pretty big to win a playoff round for the first time. So just like your final takeaway uh, from that series against the Montreal Canadiens. I think the worst part of it for me was that I, I didn't feel – like I was having as much fun as I wanted to in the first round because so much of it was so tense and close and kind of a slog that at the end of it, I kind of just felt more like relief. Like, okay, they got past this team. Now we can move on. I'm a lot more amped up now heading into tonight's game than I was at the end of the Montreal series. Yeah, I think it was it was interesting, and this maybe goes back to what Vino was saying about the idea of everyone expected the Flyers to win. It felt like, it almost felt like to me that the first time the Flyers won a playoff series, it was going to just be this like jubilant time because it was going to be a toss up series, and they were going to eck it out, and everyone is going to be, oh my god, the Flyers are back. And instead, they went into the series, and you were thinking to yourself, if they lose this series it's going to feel like a massive disappointment. And I just, I guess I didn't expect that to be the feeling going into the first series the Flyers are going to win in eight years. I expected it to be like, hey, they're the, the scrappy underdog up-and-coming team that has to play against, like, the Washington Capitals and show that they're for real. And instead, they got a team that they were supposed to beat. And if they didn't win, it was going to be like, oh, my God, they choked. Mm -hmm. And it was just it was a weird feeling that entire series. I didn't expect this to be the feeling of the first playoff series win in eight years. Oh, yeah. Like in my post game after after they won the series, like I was just saying to people like everything you want to do to analyze what they have to do to be better in the next series. That's a problem for tomorrow. (laughs) I'm just really trying to enjoy this. Uh, but people were like, yes, there was, people were very happy that they won, but it was like, yeah, they're fucking supposed to, this would have been a real issue if it had even gone seven, let alone like lose game seven. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I will say just to think about that series, it was incredibly well goaltended. Uh, but for a couple of goalies, especially Carey Price, who stopped what seemed like everything. The fucking flukiest goals I have... Every single goal that went in was weird. Like, every single one that Carey Price went in, like, Michael Roffle shelfing it, like, even that's weird. At least it was a good shot, though. But, (laughs) like, every single one was, like, off of a defenseman and, like, off of some... Like, it was just the flukiest shit. Carey Price kicking it in his own net. That was the good one. (laughs) I've never seen anything like that for six straight games. It was a really weird series, and I'm glad it's over. It really was. 
I didn't like it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the New York Islanders. Let's talk about that uh, that team whose mascot is a white SUV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the Isles. I really appreciate their fans' pettiness. I'll tell you that. Their ability to continue to come at Tavares and the Islanders winning a series in Toronto before he does – that's great to me. It is a delight. I really enjoy that. That's that's Philly level pettiness. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, but let's talk about it. We just watched this series where the Flyers against the Habs really work to contain the speed of the Canadians and just make it a low event game. How do the Habs compare to the Isles? So this is something that like legitimately bothered me over the last couple days because of how many people have been saying that. The Isles are just the better, a better version of Montreal because the idea that like two teams that are good at defense are the exact same thing yeah. is insane. They're not. They play two totally different styles. And the the analogy I made in my in my breakdown uh, article on the Athletic today for for people who who know uh, football know the NFL. The, the Habs play a blitz-happy defense. They attack you. They come right at you. They try to get the puck. They pressure you up ice. They're all over you at all times. And that's it's, it's a good strategy if it works. It's risky if, you know, the team can make enough passes to, to kind of get, the, get you caught behind the play. The Islanders play what essentially is like the hockey equivalent of a cover two. They sit back. They, they, they trust their structure. They trust their ability to, to disrupt you as you're moving up ice, but they're not going to do it right away. They're going to they're gonna make a wall at the blue line and say, okay, you're not going to be able to navigate past us, so you're going to have to dump it in, and then we're going to go back. We're going to get the puck first. We're going to dump it out, and we're just going to keep repeating this over and over and over again until you get frustrated enough to take a shot downfield, and that's when we're going to pick you off. And then we're going to do this, and then we're going to go down, and we're going to score and whatever. Like, the Isles are not nearly as aggressive as the Montreal Canadiens. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the Flyers, I mean, that's a matter of debate. I think you can you can believe either one. Either one. But the idea that the Isles are going to do the exact same thing the Montreal did, unless Barry Trotz decides to just switch up his entire defensive scheme, which, like, maybe he's a great coach, but... It's just not true. Like, this is going to be a totally different stylistic series than the Montreal series. So don't go into the series thinking, well, if we struggled against Montreal, we're destined to struggle against this team. It's just not the case. I worry that it's going to be uh... worse, actually. I have a lot of worry about this series. And it's interesting to me that, Charlie, you said that you're so confident about it. I have a lot of worry. I will say that part of it is absolutely my bias that I've had for the past two years that I just don't think the Islanders are that good. Yeah, Charlie is, despite the results, an <laughs> Islanders hater. Which, fair, but, like, they keep doing the thing. That's the problem. I, I mean, they kept doing the thing last year until they ran into the Hurricanes who swept them in round two. Fair. That's what I'll say. Like, I think what I wanted to get at earlier was I I understand Charlie's optimism, and I do believe the Flyers have another level they can get to and can beat the Islanders. But I'm with Kelly in that. uh, I've been watching the Flyers and Islanders play this year. The Flyers went 0-3. They've lost their last four to them. Uh, It's... They've been a thorn in the side. It's been an annoying game for the Flyers to play against. I don't think... Like Charlie was getting to, people are comparing the Habs and the Islanders like they're the same. No, they're just both good defensively, but 
I think the style the Flyers are going to have to play is somewhat similar in that grinded-out style. It's going to be annoying. We're not going to be able to open it up like we did, say, against a Boston or Pittsburgh or whatever. Uh, I, I think while the opponents are different, the way the Flyers are going to have to play is similar, and that's a nerve-wracking way to play. Yeah, but the thing is is that they're not, like, to me, the, the Flyers' biggest issue with Montreal was just they didn't have any freaking time to do anything. You know their their forwards okay. were, their forwards weren't clicking. Their the for, their top end forwards clearly didn't have the kind of chemistry they had pre pre pause, and that problem make, gets made worse when you don't have any time to to take a step back and see the see the ice and and find teammates and whatnot. You have to make split second decisions that really only work when you reflexively and automatically know where everyone on the ice is. The thing with the Islanders is they are going to give you that time. The Flyers are going to have more time to make plays. I guess my thing, and, and I get I get the concerns that the Flyers lost three games in this year, but there is nothing there is nothing in the Islanders' style of play that leads me to believe that the Flyers should have an inordinate amount of trouble playing against them. Aside from the fact that they didn't win three, they didn't win any games against us this year. But in theory. There is nothing about the way the Islanders play that scares me stylistically. Like, the Flyers couldn't play their four-check game because Carey Price was killing their four-check. Semyon Varlamov is not Carey Price when it comes to playing the puck. The Flyers had actually didn't really struggle that much getting their four-check going against the Isles in these three games, even though in the first two games it wasn't really the Flyers because the Fly that was back in 2019 before the Flyers were really the good version of the Flyers. I just don't look at this team... And see much stylistically. Like I, when when I watch when I was watching tape, and again I could end up being totally off. Maybe the Flyers are going to get swept, and we're all going to be pissed off. In a couple no, years. but I I remember I I watched a ton of tape on Montreal, and the more tape I watched of them before that series, the more that they scared me because it was like shit. Their strengths really do play into what the Flyers, you know. Basically, they play into what the Flyers aren't good at, and they have the ability to nullify a lot of things that the Flyers are good at. And then I went right into, after watching all that tape, watching game one of the Washington Islanders series. And my first thought, which I I hesitated on tweeting because I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get killed if this isn't the way it plays out one way or the other. My first thought watching that game was that I'd rather play either of these two teams than Montreal just because of the way that they were playing. Okay, and, I, and I'm still holding that. I guess, and oh. again, maybe I'm maybe I'm off here, but I just don't. If the Flyers play the way they can play, I don't think the Islanders are that scary. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament tonight. We'll break down. We break down who will be cutting cut. What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. 
Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hmm. I want to know, I want to know if you guys, we came into these playoffs saying, man, the Flyers are a deep team. Is that still? Do we still think that? That seems Forward like wise. Yeah, the I mean, defense is what it is. They appear to have seven worthwhile defenders. The defense is fine. Uh, the forwards, because I ask here, what's the worst matchup for the Flyers? And the, and Charlie said Flyers better figure out their bottom six center situation. Yeah. What it, like are they as deep as we thought they were? I think they are, but they just weren't. Nothing was clicking against Montreal. And then also you had the issue with the top six that also wasn't clicking apart from um, the second line for some stretches. But I think that the shuffling that AV decided to do to try to mix things up in that series didn't help. I do think they're still a deep team. I don't think that that was like some kind of phantom thing that we made up. There's a lot of talent on the forward core for the Flyers. I think the Flyers are still a deep team. That said, the insistence upon continuing to, new, to use Nate Thompson yeah. does legitimately <laughs> make them a less deep team because it basically turns that entire fourth line into a line that can't score. And it, it, the thing is, is that if, if you want the Flyers to be deep, again, from a scoring standpoint and from a pushing-the-play standpoint, you can do it. You can use Scott Lawton as your fourth-line center. You can do what the Flyers did. And I think the Flyers made some adjustments later in the se- in the series against Montreal that that allowed them to take more advantage of their depth. Like, I do think that Giroux is a better wing than center, but putting him at center is a way to make yourself deeper because then you can roll Couturier, Hayes, Giroux on your top three lines, and that's big. Does and he stick at center? I think that might be the right move in this series hmm. because – John Gabriel Pajot against Derek Grant scares the shit out of me as a third line versus third line matchup. And then if you stick with th- – th- that's probably my biggest fear for this series. If Vino goes out for the first four games and uses Derek Grant as the third line center and Nate Thompson as the fourth line center, the Flyers could be in trouble because Pajot is a lot better than Grant and Casey Sizdikas is way better than Nate Thompson. And I worry, even if – even if I and I do believe this, I think Sean Couturier is going to have a very good series against Matt Barzell. And I think that Hayes, 
while he maybe didn't play like it in the first round, is a better center than Brock Nelson. And I think Travis Konechny is a better player than Anthony Beauvillier. So in theory, the Flyers should win the second line matchup as well, as long as that line gets their head out of their ass. But the, the bottom two lines scare me because the Isles, if the Flyers go with a Grant Thompson bottom six center punch, the Isles have a huge advantage in center quality. And that's something that could really hurt the Flyers if the Flyers stick with that. I just hope Vino doesn't stick with that. I'm I'm wondering like uh, Charlie, you're very confident given that you're pointing out these matchup flaws because <laughs> man, they Nate Thompson was out for that last shift at a one goal game to close out the series. Like that happened. He's yeah. gonna be the fourth line center. He's not I, taking him out. Oh, I mean, I think I think he's gonna be the fourth line center in game one. But I would hope that they're not so wedded to him that they wouldn't make a change if like i know we joke about the whole like the islanders off best fourth line in hockey but like it's a pretty damn good fourth line and it's a lot better than a line center by nate thompson it, it is absolutely and like barzell this team wasn't the most high scoring team in the regular season or anything like barzell led them with 60 points uh but in the playoffs they have seven guys with five plus points in nine games josh bailey's leading the way and when we talk about matchup issues they're a big fucking team. Like, they've got smaller players, Barzell, Eberle, uh, Pajot. But the majority of their lineup is six foot, 200 pounds plus. Like, they've got 230 pounders lining up here. I, I just, they're going to be a big physical matchup. When you talk about lining up on the blue line and saying weave between us, they take up a lot of space lining up along that blue line. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess so. Um, and and they're, they're, I'm not saying that it's going to be an easy matchup. You know, I think the Isles are an extremely well-coached team. They're very structured, and the Flyers are going to have to be patient. But I do believe that – I think that playing Montreal was the perfect precursor to playing the Islanders. Because I think if the Flyers would have played a first-round opponent, that they were able to just run into the ground skill-wise and just do whatever they wanted to do because they were shitty defensively, and then they jumped into a series against the Islanders, that could have been tough. Because the Islanders are not going to let you do that. The Islanders are going to are going to you know keep to their structure. They're going to they're going to cut cut passing lanes down. They're going to make you play dump and chase. They're going to make you grind it out. And I just feel like the Flyers by virtue of having to do that because they had no other choice against Montreal, they are in the perfect mentality to play the way they need to play to beat the Islanders in this series. Yeah, I agree. I think like that was a great experience from a learning perspective for the young guys and for everyone to realize, like, oh, yeah, playoff hockey is a little different. And something else we learned if you're the better team, you're not going to like all the calls. Like, quit mm. looking for calls. If you get them, you get them, but cut it out. You're not going to like the way the game's officiated, especially if you are going to be the more skilled team. But I do think playing against, like, if they play the way they should have against Montreal, they will have an easier time with the Islanders because they won't be dealing with as much speed. Like, we've talked a million times, how do you stop the Flyers' power play? 
Every team that just takes away Giroux's time and space makes it really, really difficult. If you're going to lay off a little and just say, all right, try to get by me, well, he'll put the puck by you. So I, I do think that this, like you said, it was a good it was a good first round, like not warm up because it was a real series, but a good trial for them to be like, okay, this is what we're going to have to do to win. I guess. You're still not confident, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, I'd, I'd like to hear specifically why you're concerned about this series. Um, so there's a little bit of the fact that they weren't able to beat them in the regular season, but I don't put a ton of stock into that because of the whole second game of a back-to-back for two of them. And also, it's the regular season. It like doesn't really matter. Um, one of the things that I'm super worried about that we haven't mentioned yet is... Um, I don't know if you guys looked at the heat maps from that cap series that the Islanders are getting a ton of their scoring chances from like directly in front of the goaltender because they are able to plant bodies right in front of the goaltender and get a lot of work done there. And I am curious to see how Carter Hart does with that kind of chaos in front of him for an entire series. That makes me a little bit nervous. Like obviously he's been playing really well, but we didn't really see that yet in front of him. So that makes me a little bit nervous just because it feels like a bit of an unknown. And also I, Barry Trotz is just good at adjusting in ways that he needs to, um, to win games. And I worried a little bit that the adjustments that we saw from Vino during the Montreal series weren't always the best ones. And so I'm wondering coach to coach, how does this play out? Like, who's going to be the guy that gets the job done better that way? I just, I don't know. I think it's, it's mostly because they didn't, I didn't think that they were going to dominate Montreal, but I did think that it was going to be a bit easier than it was, and it wasn't. Yeah, and I think that's, like, I, I, I appreciate that you end it with that, because I do believe that's where a lot of this is coming yeah. from, is the fears about how the Montreal series went. Yeah, and I get, And I guess my thing is that, I'm not terribly concerned about it because I look at it as recency bias. I mean, it definitely is. I I look at it as if we were talking about this series two weeks ago, we would be saying the Flyers are going to roll because the Flyers are a better team. But like recency is... And I still believe that's true. That is like how they're playing now. Like it isn't always how good you are. We know the best team in the league doesn't win. It's how you're playing right now when the games are happening. The last we saw the Flyers, they were good enough to win against a team that a lot of us thought wanted to lose in the fucking, you know, qualifying round so they could get the first overall pick, possibly. And, you know, it, it kind of went a different way for a little bit. And it, they, they beat him in six, and, you know, it could have been five, sure. We, it, but it wasn't the most awe-inspiring series. Like, if you were on the fence about the Flyers and watch that series, you wouldn't go, oh yeah, cup contenders, definitely. But I guess what my point is, is that while all of that is true, if you, how did you feel about the Flyers coming away from the round robin? Really good. Outstanding. It felt, felt fucking awesome, right? And then what happened after the round robin? They went out and played against Montreal and didn't look that good. Like, if recency bias is a thing, shouldn't the Flyers have torched Montreal after kicking the shit out of the three best teams on paper in the East? Like, that's why I just don't put a lot of stock in recency bias, because things change so quickly. As it turns out, Charlie, none of those teams were trying. (laughs) They told us that. Maybe it was true. (laughs) 
I mean, Boston may have had a point, you know? <laughs> I think I think Boston is the one team that may not have been trying. Also, they very well might have had a goalie who just wanted to get the fuck out of there. And that yeah, there's know, that too. Contributed to the fact that, like, the team wasn't exactly all together <laughs> pulling on the rope in the same direction. <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's a situation there that none of us are close enough to talk about, but it's more than any, like... There's more there, is all I'm going to mm-hmm. say about all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully support Tuka Rass' decision to leave, but, like... Oh, yeah. But, like, if you have your starting goalie, one of the leaders on your team, is, like, very clearly wants to get the hell out of there, I think it has an impact on your team's psyche. No, like, the fact that that emergency happened, you know, a day after he said this isn't real... Um, something tells me someone might have been, like, if this ain't real, do you get the fuck out? Like, I know if I'm Zdeno Char and this is my last go at the thing, I would have said that. Again, <laughs> uh, pure conjecture, but, like, uh, it seems fishy to me. Anyway, uh, this, isn't, uh, this isn't the ice sport. This is Broad Street. We're talking about the Philadelphia Flyers, the hockey team, the Flyers. Team uh, the Kelly, Flyers. you brought up an interesting thing in terms of the, uh, the island. We've, we've heard it a million times now. Like, this is going to be a greasy series. It's, this is how it's going to be. And you talked about the chaos in front of Carter Hart. Now, a lot of, a lot of the people in postgame thought that Shane Gostas-Bear was the best skater on the ice in Game 6, and he looked pretty damn good, I thought. I thought maybe it was his best defensive game ever. Um, does he stay in the lineup, especially considering they're a heavy team that's going to crowd the front? Like, that doesn't seem like a favorable matchup for a Ghost Bear. I know, but the speed, though. Like, he yeah. can burn them with the speed. And also, like, he's just better than Robert Haig. Is Robert Haig better than Justin Braun? Right now, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Braun. No, I know. Like, he's he's one of two guys on the team who've been to a Stanley Cup final. He's a vet. He's a big part of the penalty kill. But is he one of the six best defensemen? I'd, I'd still keep Braun in. Um, and I agree that Braun didn't have a good series. I thought he was better in game six. Uh, especially because he even had some shifts with Proveroff, and they held their own. Uh, they did. Out. I like that. I mean, not for, like, a long period of time, but I like them out there together. Yeah, I mean, they, they looked fine. Braun didn't look completely out of place because the way they the Flyers ended up doing it with the Niskanen suspension is the first two periods they cycled everybody around, and then the third period, Vigneault settled on Myers as Proby's pair, as Proby's partner. But Braun got his fair share of shifts with him in the beginning of the game, and I thought he looked fine. So I, I, I wouldn't take Braun out. I think he's... You know, maybe wasn't at his best. Definitely wasn't at his best in that first round series. But I, I don't. I wouldn't take him out. I. It's tough. You know, kind of going back to what Kelly said about the net front thing. Um, that is absolutely something I noticed watching tape over the last like thirty six or so hours. Is that the Islanders are very good in front of the net. You know, obviously they're they're big, but it goes beyond that. They they're very good at timing their routes towards the net. You know, they this and it goes back to how well coached they are. Like, they seem to know, have a good, or at least have a very good idea of when their teammates are about to shoot the puck or when their teammates are about to pass the puck. And they kind of do this, like, constant looping in the low part of the offensive zone so that as the puck is just about to get released, they're moving towards the net. 
so there are they already have momentum going towards the net for when a rebound is there so they can pounce on it or they have momentum going towards the net so when somebody's trying to pass the puck they're already they have a, an advantage on positioning when it comes to getting around a defenseman because they're not stopped they're they're moving and that's big and that's again goes back to how well coached they are it goes goes to how smart a lot of their forwards are that said Montreal was also a team that generates the vast majority of their scoring chances in front of the net. That That is their MO. If you look at Micah's heat map of the Montreal Canadiens in the 2019-2020 season, there's a big old blot of red right in that net front area. And you know what the Flyers did? They did a damn good job of keeping them out of there. I thought I mean, for the most part they absolutely did uh, a pretty good job clearing the porch, something that's been an issue in the past. Getting back to the defense for a second, I do think – like, we, we had our reservations about Niskanen in, in part of this series, Braun as well. They are methodical, cerebral players, and yeah. Montreal is a bad matchup for them. A team that is going to take their time, like the Islanders, I think suits them better that they won't be nearly as concerning once you watch a few games of the Isles series. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and yeah, I just, I guess my view is that, like, I, I think it's going to be harder for the Flyers to protect the net front against the Isles than it was against Canadians. Oh, because, yeah, I, I because think so the, as well. Yeah, I mean, the Isles are bigger, they're stronger, they're probably smarter. But I wouldn't disregard the fact that the Flyers did a pretty good job of keeping Montreal out of that area, <laughs> considering how tenacious and relentless they played in that series. I, I think that's important. I, I think they had, again, this goes back to what I was saying about it being a good precursor series. I think that the, the Montreal prepared them to play against a team like the Islanders that will crash the net because Montreal does it so damn much. Now, granted, it, their, their styles are different. Montreal is all about shooting from anywhere and just, just trying to take advantage of the ensuing chaos, whereas the Islanders are only going to shoot if they think it's smart. And they're and, and they're gonna they have more design plays. You're gonna have to be a little bit more intelligent. You're gonna have to anticipate more rather than react. But I do believe that the Flyers show that they can protect the net front area and they can make it easier for Carter Hart to see shots by what they did in the Montreal series. And I have a degree of confidence they can do it again against this team as well. I like confidence. Every Charlie. time I go ahead, Kelly. I was gonna say I like confidence, Charlie. It's making me feel better. Oh, yeah. It's it's really, it's nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I swear, every time, like, Charlie talking about their, their movement in the zone and their anticipation, I swear every time Barzell scores against the Flyers, he came out of nowhere. Like, he swoops <laughs> in. Like he's yeah. And he's not one of their bigger guys, but he's pretty damn good around the net. And uh, he just seems to anticipate well, and then you didn't see him coming. Next thing you know, there's a goal. So it's not like they have a, a Mike Knubel net front presence, but all of a sudden there are two guys there, and one of them's putting home the rebound. I mean, Anders Lee is a pretty damn good net front presence. Like, I, I, I might go so far as to say he's the best net front forward in hockey right now. He's really good. He, he's very Wayne Simmons-ish in the way he plays. Like, Wayne Simmons in his prime. He's scary. He's a guy who's going to be tough to contain. Him and uh, probably the, the, the two guys that scare me the most up front from the aisles, not from a matchup standpoint. Like, Pajot worries me because I worry he's going to go up against Derek Grant, and, and Zizekas worries me because I worry he's going to go up against Nate Thompson. But purely from a, like, what they do, you know, I'll do what I do and you guys good luck stopping it, aside from Barzell, obviously, 
are Anders Lee because of what he does in front of the net, and then Anthony Bevilier because he seems like he's taking the same leap that guys like Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kakaniemi took in the last round. Mm. Since you mentioned Nick Suzuki, I had to bring up my the thing I was going to blame the Flyers losing the series on had they lost the series to Montreal. Uh, in 2017, in the draft, the Flyers were supposed to pick 13th, ended up getting to two with Nolan Patrick. <sighs> Nick Suzuki went 13th. Cool story, I Bill. Really like, I really, really like Nick Suzuki. There's something that. that there's something to that that's gonna come back and haunt us at some point. I'm telling yeah, you. at I, some I point. I remember definitely not now. I remember in that draft, um, one of my one of my really good friends is a Rangers fan, and they obviously took uh, Leah Anderson um, with their uh, their top ten pick in that draft, which is looking like a disaster of a pick. And he, I remember him asking me in the weeks leading up to draft, who do you think the Rangers should take with that pick? And I was like, they should take Nick Suzuki. He's going to be a stud. So watching him be a stud against the Flyers kind of sucked because I've always liked Nick Suzuki. All right, let's get to this goaltending matchup here. We have Carter Hart against Semyon Var- Varlamov. Uh, Varley's made all nine, nine starts in the postseason for the Isles. 7-2 with a 9.34 save percentage and a 1.67 goals against. Almost called it ERA, but this is hockey. It's a goals against average. Uh, and then Carter Hart, 6-2, 9.43, which leads all goaltenders in the playoffs, and a 1.71 goals against. So basically identical goals against averages. They're both giving up under two a game. Uh, excellent uh, save percentages. We know that both teams are very, uh, very good defensively. But has anyone loved what they saw out of Hart in games five and six? Mm, love would be a strong word. The he third period enough. I thought was huge for Hart just in terms of getting his confidence back and locking it down and being the guy they needed him to be in the third period of game six. But I'm not saying they have uh, the Islanders have the goaltending advantage, but Varlamov just has more experience. Yeah. Yeah, again, like I feel like I'm way too confident in this. Series, I'm obsessed with it, but I don't, I don't think Varlamov is that good either. Like I think he's fine. I don't think but he's I think, that good, but I think him behind what they do defensively, yeah, yeah. is a 9.34 save percentage. Eh, I don't know if I go that far, but right. I mean, maybe if they keep playing as well defensively as they did against the Capitals, like they completely shut the Capitals down. Um, but yeah, I mean, Varlamov's fine. He's a good goalie. Uh, I. I think you honestly. I think you can make a case. I think you can make a case that that Hart played better in those two games, not the whole time, but I think what what should give Flyers fans some confidence. And I don't know. Look, I don't know if this was the right move because this was totally bizarre when um you know when when Vino was about to pull Hart and then didn't pull. That was so five. weird. But you know what? He put Hart back in. And Hart got it together. Like, yeah, he gave up the game-winning goal, but that was just a defensive breakdown. Like, yeah, I Hart mean, came when they put Hart back in. I was like, oh god, he's going to give up like three more goals right yeah. now. Yeah, he's going to be crushed. And he rebounded. Like, he responded. He rebounded, and he looked like a good goalie again. And then in Game Six, like, was he amazing? No, but I think he was really good in the final ten minutes of the third period. And again, that's showing that, like, when the chips are down, you can trust this guy. And I think that's important. Was he as good as he was in games three and four? No, of course not. But I think what he showed in both those games is that he can respond to adversity. He can respond when it gets really, really important. And I don't think that's something to brush aside. 
No, I like I he impressed me in the series overall, obviously. I mean, he won it and he no one's done that in a long freaking time. <laughs> uh but like like the overall playing well and then some of the goals that actually went in. We're like, "Ah, he's playing so good though." Yeah. Like how did that one beat him? But then uh, again, th- you- it was you started at the beginning of the show that all of the goals that went in against Carey Price were fluky, too. Like, all of them were such goddamn weird goals. That's why, like, I'm going to get, like, I don't want to criticize Carter freaking Hart. Like, he's our freak, he's our hope. He, if they're going to win the cup, it's because of him. He leads the league in save percentage right now. He's on the road to Con Smythe if they win this thing. Like, I don't want to. I'm just... Listen, I'm not as confident as Charlie. I'm trying to remain unbiased and give our listeners the full the the full uh, analysis of what what could possibly happen in this thing. No, I mean, look, I'm I'm concerned at how confident I am in this series, <laughs> but at the same time, I was second guessing myself before last series that I wasn't as confident as you guys about Montreal. So, I don't know. We'll see. So, what do we think about this coaching matchup then? Trotz versus Elaine Vigneault. Elaine Vigneault is, yeah. is, could very well be the best coach in hockey this season. Uh, Barry Trotz, man, it's hard. Looking at their roster, it's hard to argue that he's not one of the best coaches. And I mean, mm-hmm. he wins a cup in Washington and then goes to the Islanders, and everyone's like, well, man, it seems like both sides fucked up. Like, he's, they didn't retain their cup winning coach, and he's got to go to some team that just lost Tavares, and. Lo and behold, he's got them playing pretty well the last couple years. How do you think this? Uh, how do you think this goes? Who has the advantage here in terms of coaching? Uh, I mean, it's trust. this is interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is I the mean, spot I think that, and like, I love yeah. AV. I've loved them yeah. all year. I think this is the spot they have the advantage in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I put in the outline. Like, are we worried about this? Because I think there is reason to potentially be worried about this, and it's not. I'm not ripping on Elaine Vigneault, but Perry Schrotz is really freaking good. He's real good. And, I mean, this Island, this Islanders team should not be this good. Yeah. Like, full stop, end of story. Islanders fans can talk about how great their players are and how great their team is all they want. This is not that good of a hockey team. They are a contender because they have Barry Trotz as their head coach. Yeah, their top six is good. Uh, they get it's good, good goaltending. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's not awesome. It's yeah. good. They get good goaltending, but, like, I just was looking at their, like, they don't have a number one defenseman. Their top four all play the same minutes. They don't have a dude out there pulling 24, 25, 26 minutes. Like, they have a top four on D, and you, you need two lines, but it, it's not like they have that one standout. They're like, that's why they're good on defense. No, it's it's the structure, it's the team effort, and good for them. That's how you fucking win. Yeah. But, like... No, they are not as good as their results. Like, player for player, they're not. No, they have a a pretty tight system that they have all bought into, and that's why they win games. And it's 100% coaching. Which makes me nervous. Yeah. No, and and to me, like, this is is probably number two on on my list of things I'm nervous about after the the potential center disadvantage if the Flyers continue to trust Derek Grant and Nate Thompson as much as they do. Um, because, yeah, Trotz is a great coach. I mean, I, I put this in the outline. He literally just got a coach fired last series. Yeah, how good is that? That <laughs> like, shit is delicious. Like, he basically got a coach fired. 
because and, it was just so glaring that he was so much better at his job than the guy who replaced him. Like, that's why they fired Todd Reardon. And, like, shit. Yeah, this is a guy you have to be worried about because he's going to make adjustments. Like, I went, it's funny, I went into these playoffs thinking that one of the big advantages the Flyers were going to have, especially in the early going, was that Vino should be better suited to prepare the Flyers for unorthodox circumstances as compared to a lot of the other coaches that were in the playoffs. And the Flyers then, of course, go against two of the best coaches in hockey, one right after another. Granted, Claude Julien had a heart attack, so he only coached game one. But, like, he was still involved yeah. in the yeah. like you know, in the analysis of the series and making in you know post-game adjustments. Like, you get Claude Julien and you get... You get Barry Trotz. You get two of the probably top five or six best coaches in hockey, one right after another. Like, that's completely nullifying an advantage. Like, for example, I think the, if the Flyers would have played Toronto, Elaine Vigneault would have coached circles around Sheldon Keefe. Not because I don't view Sheldon Keefe highly, but because I just don't think Sheldon Keefe knows how to, like, he's still learning how to be a freaking head coach. And then you have to throw him into the bubble and have him decide how to make these changes in a circumstance that no one has ever dealt with. Against Barry Trotz? No, I have complete faith that Barry Trotz is going to have this team completely ready to play and ready to play their game as best as they possibly can. And uh, and we just lost Kelly. She'll be back in a second. But I think uh, you make a good point there in terms of like coaching experience. You can be the best X's and O's guys. We talk all the time like about Mike Yo and Michelle Tarian. We said in the beginning. I said in the beginning of the season. Like these are good hires because what? How do you become a bad head coach? Well, you got the job because you were probably a good assistant coach. Like, that's why they gave you the shot. So, yeah, I do think there's probably something to that. But now you have two legit head coaches going at it. And, uh, shit, man. This is, uh, it's going to be a fun series, but it is going to be a tight series. Yeah, I think the reason why... And again, this probably goes back to my inherent bias against the Islanders. I am inherently biased against teams that concede puck possession. And the Isles concede puck possession. Like, they've been better at it in the playoffs, but better at it in the playoffs for the Islanders is that their Corsi is 50% rather than their Corsi is 46%. My bias is that I think the teams that dictate the tempo and dictate the way that both sides are going to play, that dictate the terms of engagement, are more likely to win games. And what I like about the series for the Flyers is the same thing I didn't like about the series against the Canadians, is that I was worried the Canadians were going to dictate the terms of engagement. I think the Flyers are going to dictate the terms of engagement in this series. And I think if they do that, I think they have a good chance of winning. And I think when we talk about a series, we can compare, like Kelly mentioned, two of the games they lost to the Islanders this year were the second game of back-to-backs and all sorts of extenuating circumstances. Anything can happen in a one-game setting when you get into a best-of-seven. If the Flyers, like, lose two fluky ones, but, you know, dictate the pace for the entire series, they'll probably win in six, you know? Like, if they control play... It could it, it it bodes better for them. Yeah, and I want to make it clear that like I completely can envision a scenario where the Islanders win this series. I can even envision a sure. scenario where the where the Islanders like sweep the Flyers because the Flyers just are frustrated as hell. They can't they can't break through. You know, Drew can't do anything, and he's had a second straight bad series, so he loses his shit. Like it, it's it's plausible. 
Like, this is not a situation where I think the Flyers are destined to dominate this series. I just like the matchup for them. And again, I might be crazy, but I like the matchup for them. All right, so I guess uh, I guess it's about that time. We forgot to take a break, so I'll have to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> it's about that time we make our predictions, Charlie. Maybe Kelly will be back for this. Maybe she won't be. Uh, but so what do you like? You, you've laid it all out. You're confident in the Flyers. You've you've given us the scenarios you think could play out. What do you like? Flyers in five. Flyers in five. Yeah, I'm being bold. Flyers in five. Wow. I mean, I, 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 I thought about going with Flyers in six because, like, that's, like, the acceptable pick. You know, you're like, well, if they lose, you know, I knew it was going to be a tight series. But you know what? Screw it. All right. Flyers, because last, last round, just to remind everybody, Steph had the Flyers in four. Kelly, uh, Kelly and I had the Flyers in five. And Charlie was right with Flyers in six. I, of course, criticized you on post game. Uh, after they won the sixth game, because every playoff series goes six. That's like, uh, like oh yeah, tomorrow's tomorrow's Tuesday. Like it's that's just the way it is. I mean, fair. I, I guess I guess my point by picking the Flyers in six was to make the case that like Montreal is better yes. than you all think. No, that was that was the argument I was making by picking them in six. And it was a good it was a good juxtaposition against us. And you turned out to be right. It was much tighter than we expected. You were correct in that. Uh, I was on the uh, PHL seventeen morning news show today, and they had they asked me for my prediction, and I said Flyers in seven. And I'm sticking with it. I think this right. is gonna be this is gonna be a real this is gonna be a real problem for me personally from a health perspective. Uh, <laughs> seven games and doing the post game and just being a, a a neurotic mess about the whole thing. It's not gonna be great, but so be it. Flyers and seven. That is what I am gonna go with here. And Kelly did not rejoin us, so uh, we're gonna be wrapping up. Unless Charlie, you I- have anything else? I mean, I would assume that Kelly is picking the Flyers. I would, can... I would think, even though she's not all that optimistic, I would think she's going to pick the Flyers. Well, I mean, she picked the Flyers to win the Stanley Cup before the season started, so you can't go back on your, oh, your yeah, predictions at this point. I couldn't get, I couldn't get Kelly or Steph to even pick a different Stanley Cup champion when we did that show. Just pick a Cup champ, and I said <laughs> Flyers are off the table, and they're like, no. Like, all right, they're not off the table. Yeah, they're not. So yeah, Kelly's definitely picking the Flyers. Uh, You'll probably have to listen to a checking out the competition or something to get her game prediction on that. All right, that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. We'll try to get more shows in during the series, but the schedule is weird. Charlie works. I do stuff. You know, everyone's kind of busy throughout the playoffs. So we'll try to get more shows in for you like we did the bonus show last series. But that's it for this one. Be sure to watch my post games on Twitch. It's BSH underscore radio. Uh, I don't think I have anything else, so have a great week, everybody. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. 
It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.